This episode of Ragcast Outdoors is brought to you by PK Lures, Bow Spider, and High Mountain Seasonings. Fish on! Hey, Radcast is on! Hunting, fishing, and everything in between. This is Radcast Outdoors. Here are David Merrill and Patrick Edwards. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of Radcast Outdoors. I'm Patrick Edwards. And I'm David Merrill. And we are here today at the Wyoming Outdoor Weekend doing lots of podcasts. We're snagging everybody that walks by and make them sit down and, <laughs> and grill them about why they're here and what they do. Yep, and we've got a special guest here, Mike Miller, with the Wyoming State Trappers Association. So, Mike, will you give us a quick introduction about who you are and what you do? Yeah, absolutely. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm the District 6 representative for the State Trappers Association. So District 6 covers uh, Fremont County, Teton County, and Sublette County. And I'm also the uh, media representative for the State Trappers Association. That's awesome. And we appreciate you coming on the show. I know that trapping is one of those, you know, it's one of those areas of the outdoors that I would say is probably the most in danger. Most polarizing, for yeah, sure. Yeah, of any of the outdoor activities because it's it, it can be polarizing, right? And I think it's one of the most misunderstood outdoor activities as well. So it'll be fun to have you on and talk about those things. Uh, but just to kind of give people an idea about you know the trappers association what you guys are doing just kind of give us an overview well um the trappers association is just a set up group of individuals that's looking to looking to protect our rights and heritage in the state of wyoming um and and we actually compound that into protecting our rights is protecting your rights as fishermen and your rights as big game hunters and also um, protecting the rights of, of hikers and everything else and we can kind of get into those details as to why that is why that's the case by rule but it's it's really critical that we understand that we understand conservation in the state of Wyoming and that's something that we're really um, we're really fighting to make sure that people understand what we do um, what we're out there doing and how we're doing it and how things change over years and how we need to change over years to, to go along with those actions. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting thing with trapping because it's, it's been part of the heritage and the fabric of this country. In fact, trapping built a good portion of this country and expansion out west was due a lot to trapping. My great-great-grandfather was one of the main trappers in this area back in the day. You know, he, he was one of the trappers that, you Amazing. know, he, he trapped coyotes, foxes, wolves, you name it, way back when. And, uh, you know, it's part of what built the West. And a lot of people forget about that. Yeah, absolutely. There's a, there's a section of the Sweetwater River that I trap in. Um, the, the ranch owners, their family bought the ranch in 1898. And wow. they've been hiring trappers to trap beaver out of the sweet water, out of their irrigation ditches since they've owned the property. And, and that's just the history of just that family. Jim Bridger trapped beaver in the same river that I trapped beaver in. And that means something to the core of a, of a real trapper. That just means something, the history of that. 200 years of standing in the water, breaking a trap over your leg. That, that's something that... That's hard to explain. It's hard to explain heritage, and so somebody gets that. But when you, you know, when you talk about it in that, like, it's amazing. It's the same water. It's the same dirt. It's the same grass. It's it's amazing. 
And you, we mentioned something earlier a little bit about hunting, fishing, and trapping. Those three pillars built this country, right? Mm-hmm. And those management tools are vital and crucial to manage any species on the landscape, right? I mean, Patrick loves to go fishing, and if we just turn tiger musky loose anywhere and everywhere, we're going to be out of rainbows. We're going to be out mm-hmm. of, you know, if we don't manage them. If we if we just say, you know, we're, we're never going to harvest another tiger musky, you can't, you can't use steel leaders, you can't, 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 right? Mm-hmm. And to, to that statement, we could get really deep in trapping. And, I mean, people who have listened to this podcast know that I have a trapping background, and I'm avidly enjoy trapping mm-hmm. it's a it's a pastime and a hobby i picked up in my teens but you know to the the relationship between coons and pheasants or the relationship between wolves and elk that symbiotic relationship without trapping that removes one of the most effective tools to manage some very hard predators whether you know mountain lions bears wolves all the way down to coons and foxes, right? And so speak to that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm not originally from Wyoming. I'm kind of from everywhere. And prior to Wyoming, I lived in the state of Washington. And non-live trap, you can live trap only in the state of Washington now. And it's been like that for quite a few years. And they have this gigantic problem of um, nesting predators in the state of Wyoming. So you've got your coon, you know, raccoon and and um, feral cats and everything else that kind of fits into that same category. There's no management tool left to manage, um, to manage and keep up those species. And so in, in eastern Washington, where the climate and culture is real similar to Wyoming, when you're looking at sagebrush ground and stuff like that, they're fighting to try to maintain habitat for wild birds that there's nothing they can do about it. It's almost impossible to run a good coyote hunt there anymore without everybody in the world getting in your business. <clears throat> and if we back up a little bit and look at it, 96 was when all that legislation went through in Oregon, Washington, and the antis put up videos of fluffy little teddy bears up trees that were in danger that if you go watch the video, there there was, yeah, there's a bear up a tree, right? Right, and it's... it's and we lost our rights in, in the stroke of a pen. We lost our rights to... Yeah. Effectively managed. One yeah. of the most effective management tools was removed. Yeah, and absolutely. the populations have suffered because yeah. of that. And in Washington, King County rules. So if you know anything about Washington, King County is Seattle. And so all the antis spent all their time working in King County to make sure that they got enough votes. Where, and I mean, what works in downtown Seattle doesn't work right. in, in rural. I'm, I'm against trapping in downtown Seattle. <laughs> I'll say that. I agree with those folks, but I'm not against trapping as a tool for coyotes in eastern Washington, where coyotes in eastern Washington are a major ordeal. There's farmers and ranchers in eastern Washington that have serious issues with coyotes, and the only the only meth, the only tool that they have today is coyote hunting, coyote hunting and coyote calling, and they're coming after that. They're coming after those coyote hunting and coyote calling competitions, and they're they're coming after those regulations, those those competitions. No, but long term, getting on point of this cycle that I've seen of well, we're banning this piece to protect, and we're banning this piece. Ultimately, bans, shadow bans, whatever. Whether we're talking social media, whether we're talking legislation mm-hmm. on the ground, banning is not the way forward. We need to have a a conversation at the table that includes all user groups and. Public land should be left in trust for public use. Right. Whether that's hiking, fishing, biking, trapping, hunting. We get a lot of trappers just, we don't do a good job of being 
positive stewards of our sport. Every trapper I've ever met, their goal is not to eradicate the species that's in, take Sweetwater River and Beaver, for example. You're not going to roll in there and just completely saturate the whole ponds with every trap and remove every beaver so that there's no beaver. Every trapper I've met wants to remove a portion of the population and leave enough base so that next year there's more population. It's no different than farming. Right? Absolutely. You're going you're gonna to plant crop. You're going to remove the crop. You're going to keep the soil in good condition. You're not going to damage that soil so that next year you get less yield than, than this year. You want to get the same, if not more, yield next year. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this, this year, for example, we haven't even trapped in the Sweetwater yet. So spring beaver's over. Um, the only trapping that we'll do until October is going to be management trapping for farmers and ranchers that have issues, which they will. Their irrigation ditches will get plugged up, and the only way that they'll have to get rid of those is to trap them. But we didn't do any spring beaver trapping in the Sweetwater because we had six feet of snow and two and a half feet of ice. Beaver normally create food banks for three to four months during the winter. They were we had inhabited. six months winter. Yeah, we had six months of winter this year. They don't need we, the extra pressure. We don't know how big of an impact the winter had on them, so the best thing that we can do is wait to see what that impact was to see how we can impart our judgment into mm-hmm. that into that management practice as well. It's just critical that we make that decision, and it's just an on and an off switch. And we do it with bobcats in, in 20 regions in the state of Wyoming. We study bobcat numbers every year, and if those numbers don't look right, we as trappers are the first ones at the table that are saying, we need to pull back, guys. Yeah, we know we're selling $1,200 cats out of this area, but, but we've got to pull back because we want $1,200 cats for the next 100 years, mm-hmm. not and two. The fishermen do the same thing. They're not targeting the hens and removing all them. The bird hunters do the same thing. You know, I've heard it said, you got to leave some seed for next year. We don't want to go and annihilate all the roosters, all the chuckers, all the whatever. Take a few, and if if boots on the ground, if if you're a, a ten decade trapper, fisherman, or birder, or big game hunter, and you're hey historically we harvest X, and you go out on the landscape, and all of a sudden it's not there, the ecological trapper, the ecological fisherman, the the conservation minded guy goes, hold on, wait a second, let's let's pull back this year, let's leave that seed there, so that we can replenish right. this resource. Yeah, it's. Um, our resources are just critical, and, and there's a, um, you know, there's a topic that that I bring up about um, the resurgence of swift fox in the state of Wyoming. There's not very many. In certain areas, they're really densely populated. In the Casey, Wyoming area, they're densely populated. Um, in our geographic area where we all live, just to the north in the San Mesa area, there's really thick, small pockets of swift fox. And the problems with these small pockets, it's their natural habitat, but they're not expanding, they're not diversifying out, they're not um, dispersing at all because the coyote populations are so high, so the coyote populations pack them down. When they get so densely populated and they have a good food source... Mother run... Nature has some ways to take care of this. It's either going to be disease or starvation. Yeah, it's, it's, normally, it's normally parvo or, zoo, um, or mange. Is, are the two most common things that come in when they when those populations start getting up. So my concern is, is we're looking at this animal that we've been protecting in the state of Wyoming for years for good cause. We want that animal to come back. We want those numbers to come back. And in small pockets, we have those numbers. You now have sustainable populations that if you don't do something are no longer going to be viable and sustainable. Right. And if we can go in there 
look at the numbers and do some controlling work in there, we're going to help disperse that population. They're packed in because they're getting chased. You know, they're the smallest predator that exists, so they're going to get packed up. Foxes and coyotes are going to push them in. And so when we hunt and trap them, then we're going to actually disperse those out and help that population expand in micro numbers. And we do that over time. We started doing this with white-tailed deer, most successful conservation model in, in the world when we started developing that with white-tailed deer. And we've just done that time and time again with species. And it's time for us to start looking at that here in our own, on our own sand. We've, we just had Dan Thompson on and we talked about this with, with the, the large charismatic un, uh, carnivores, grizzly bears and wolves. They're, sure. they're now to the point we can manage them. But this symbiotic relationship between predator and prey exists across the board. I don't care if it's foxes, raccoons, coyotes. As we move up into the bigger, they need to be managed just the same as anything, right? Yep, absolutely, yeah. And and managed to their numbers, to their microcultures and everything else. So if you're a trapper, you're the first person that's going to realize before game and fish, before the feds, before anybody else, you're the first person that's going to realize you got an issue. You're the first person that's going to see a dark decline in a population you know i've called game and fish and said hey i've i've got um i don't know i've got 20 dead raccoon on my trap line that aren't in traps something's going on mm-hmm. um or i used to see several sets of bobcats tracks here there and there i cannot find a set of bobcat tracks yeah and so bobcats are really i mean you can affect a bobcat with such a small impact to them so it's so important and we've done years and years worth of studies and we've really done a lot of work with the game and fish to make sure that we understand what's going on make sure that they understand what's going on make sure that and then pick up the phone and have that conversation on a daily basis so we both work together on it but the general public doesn't know all this they just look at at you as a trapper and go oh you're out there being you know that unfortunately trappers get a really bad rap. Yeah, I'm just out there clubbing coons with a baseball bat, right? That's what everybody, yeah, that's the that's the video that you're going to see. You know, there is this symbiosis relationship between removing a, some species and let another species flourish. And I think of rabbits and bobcats, right? Absolutely. They, they, they have that cyclical rate and the bobcat population follows the rabbit population up a little bit behind the rabbit population crashes that's their food source the bobcat population the kits don't have as much to survive on and there there is that cyclical rate and it's through everything but we help manage the peaks and valleys so that population highs aren't so high so the crashes aren't so low right and we also to caveat on top of that absolutely 100 percent agree with it we're also using a resource it's important that folks know that the intent is to use the resource. We, we hunt elk. We don't hunt elk to just shoot an elk on the mountainside and walk away from it. The work just begins the second that the fur hits the rocks. That's, oh, yeah. We all know that. And where some of us hunt, it's days worth of work. Um, I'm, I'm, I hunted about 10,000 feet on the backside of Big Sheep Mountain. And if the weather's bad, it's a couple of days to get game out of that game out of that region but the level of pride when you come over to my house and i cook a steak dinner and put an elk backstrap on the table of me going, hey here's an elk i harvested right that same level of pride when i go to first sale and put up some foxes some coons some coyotes some bobcats and put those pelts out and go look at i mean because there's hours of work in collecting that specimen turning that pelt into a marketable resource absolutely and and it's our resource it's our it's public land it's our resource the same as the pronghorn or our resource and the sagebrush is our resource the trails 
for a hiker are our resource. For a, for a fat tire biker, those trails are our resource. As a trapper, those, those areas are our resource. And so when we hold that conversation and say, we're, when we start talking about resource use, now, when I'm working on public grounds and I'm fighting for my protections on public grounds, I'm fighting for yours too. Oh, yeah. Yours is a biker, yours is everything else. Wyoming's a, a great state. A lot of the things that we do in Wyoming are said to be kind of like this. If everybody's allowed to do it, everybody's allowed to do it with the notion that you got to work with everybody else. But I'm not going to take your rights away. I'm not going to take the rights away from person A to protect the rights from person B. Agreed. We don't do that. The state of Wyoming said, you know, we're going to, the United States said, come on, let's, you, we want you to be a state. And Wyoming historically said, we're not coming in the United States without our women. Is this big stand that we made, you know, a hundred and some years ago. It wasn't a woman's rights movement. That's just the way it is in Wyoming. We just protect the rights of everybody and everything. And so our public lands are the same way. If you can take my rights away, somebody can come and take yours away next. You know, your fat tire bike is tearing up the trails and there's this exotic grass that grows once every 17 years. Let alone the dirt bike guy like me. Yeah, sure. Dirt bike guy like you, heaven forbid. Why <laughs> making <laughs> noise and blowing smoke and spinning rocks and right. causing erosion. Good Lord. But I want to I want to touch on one point that I know, and that's fishermen are, are pretty good about understanding below the surface ecologically and, mm-hmm. and being part of that. But hunters are, are good at scratching the surface. However, trappers understand ecology better that they understand microecology right how is this mouse affecting this and where can i find this species and how is it utilizing food water shelter in a way that hunters never do you know just being able to discern this tracks age type location and where is that animal going to go and how is that raccoon going to utilize this chunk of habitat and how is that raccoon interacting with that bobcat Right. You don't learn that it's, if you're um, hiking a, a, a ridge and taking a picture and hiking out. No, it's it's actually impossible. One of the best big game hunting tools that you're ever going to learn is learn to trap as a kid. Because you're looking at trails, you're looking at you're looking at funnels, micro, pinch points, micro features that you'd never pick up on. You walk through them all the time. Hey, when I'm walking down a trail and I got to turn sideways, what does that mean? That's a pinch point, goofball. But now as a trapper, we look for it from 100 yards away. I'll go out in the gas hills, drive 30 miles, stop, get out, walk 100 yards out into the middle of a deal and set a trap right there. Why is that? In the why mid- is that mile? That why, what, is that, what is that one rock? have to do about the other hundred rocks you drove past in that 30 miles is why is that going to attract a coyote? It's the point in the feature that you look at and you start looking at north facing slope west facing slope when you're really getting into it you're like prevailing wind yeah you're you're studying every single thing in the whole wide world and you're saying that nature creates its own funnels I don't need to make them nobody's the nobody's the greater at camouflage than mother nature I don't need to try to build a suit I can just you know just go out there but that's the part of it that everybody misses. I, I, you know, the Gas Hills is what two million acres, something. I mean, it's obscene when you combine all the BLM ground and stuff. It's two million plus acres, and I'm gonna make of a property that anybody gets to recreate on. Right, and I'm gonna make a dog step in a two-inch circle, and I'm gonna tell you if it's his right foot or his left foot before I even, if I set the trap, I'm gonna tell you he's gonna, I'm gonna catch him in the right front foot or the left front foot because of the way that we set the trap up, the way that the trail's set up, and the way that all that. That's pretty amazing. And so when you get into the, 
when you get into the two million the f- acres and you've got a, a one fo- a, a one square inch pad on a two inch circle absolutely and and I'm fairly confident on my success rate not day by day but success rate by season I'm fairly confident in that one thing that folks don't get out of out of the trapper they see the trapper out trapping but in August they don't see the trapper out walking around the gas hill studying studying the coyote packs that are out there studying where all the where all the small family groups are at where they're denning at how the rabbit population's looking going out there and studying and starting to map out rabbit populations in August so you can study where the animals are going to be at the amount of work that goes into what we do on the large scale we've got guys that run 200 mile long lines out there they work year round to study this species and it's hard work. So I do want to talk about trapping just kind of from a more philosophical standpoint. So it's kind of like with hunters in, in some regard that you're going out there and you're managing a population, but you're managing it so that it sustains itself so that you have things to trap year to year, mm-hmm. season to season. Hands on with the landscape, like you said, you know, you're going out and you're spending a lot of time. And I think that one of the big misconceptions with trapping is that that doesn't happen, is that trappers are just out there doing things randomly and causing problems, right? And right. so maybe you can talk a little bit about that because I think when you look at hunters, anglers, trappers, I think we all kind of get a bad rap for that. We're very misunderstood. So if you were to talk to somebody who doesn't do this activity, because I mean, I'm one of the people that doesn't do it. I'm, I'm not a trapper. But what would you say to them, you know, is the reality of trapping and is the benefit of it? Well, trappers in general are, are a loner group. You don't trap, you don't go with seven people hopping a truck and go trapping. Because I don't know why we don't Success do Success rates drop through the floor because, <laughs> yeah. We, we just don't do that. So folks only see the negative impact. The positive impact is intentionally not to be seen. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't see me impact a population. You should never see my impact. You shouldn't see a bunch of my animals caught in traps from the highway type of thing because that, that has a negative impact on the wildlife itself. Yes, it has a negative impact on somebody seeing an, a coyote caught in a trap in the, in the grasslands, but it also has a negative impact on that wildlife. So we don't really want that. So when we're being good stewards of our sport, we're kind of invisible. And then on purpose, we're kind of invisible because the anti-crowd has a negative aspect that they've spun on us. So it's, it's pretty easy to just be quiet and fly under the radar. When we have that person that does go out there and set whatever they want to set, do whatever they want to do, first of all, I will guarantee you that that person is not a successful trapper. I can guarantee you that they don't, that they're not good at it. They don't catch a lot of coyotes. The person that catches a lot of coyotes has three different mapping apps on their phone. They have two different wind study maps on their phone. They're they're reading books written from 1890 to 1970 about you know the life of a wolfer from Craig O'Gorman and you're going through all of these books and I mean the amount of studying and work that good coyote trappers and trappers in general put in is unreal and so that silent you know the or the loud negative minority has an effect on us what we need to do the 
we need to advocate for the positive side of what we do. We need to be doing exactly what we're doing right here, talking about what we do, how we do, talk to other people about it. I talk to hikers. You know, I do a lot of like trap release seminars. I did one earlier today with groups that they're not necessarily coming there to be friends with Mike Miller, the trapper. But I think in the end of the conversation, when they hear the angle of, we're in this together, I hope you understand we're in this together. I want to protect your trail just as much as you want to protect it. That kind of changes that, that mindset a little bit. It's not just about being ruthless or anything like that. It's, it's, more of a, it's more of that same symbiotic relationship with the animals we should have with the people as well. Mm-hmm. So I know one of the big, I guess one of the big things that, that's been in the news media is like when dogs get caught, right? Especially in a lethal trap. So what does, you know, your association do in regards to that? Like what, what are some things that trappers are trying to do? Because the reality is there's a lot of people out with dogs, right? Like Absolutely. I always keep mine on a leash because I know better, but you know, what are some things that you guys are working on and doing in regards to that? Because that is probably the most controversial thing that I hear about. It, it's the most controversial. It's probably has the least impact of anything that we deal with in a negative ma- matter, but it's the most politicized because it's a dog. I mean, everybody has a dog. I have five dogs at my house and they're all pets and they're all just family members. So everybody gets really passionate about that. We really, the first thing that we need to do when we talk about that is really talk about the numbers. Like, what are those numbers? And so, some of our anti-groups chuck a bunch of math out there that mm, it's mostly created, because they don't know. Um, Last year in the state of Wyoming, there were either four or five, two incidents might be the same one, reported dog catch incidents to Wyoming Game and Fish for a calendar year, four or five. Not very impactful, but when we look at, there's over 3,000 trappers in the state of Wyoming. Each of those trappers probably sets anywhere from 30 to 60 traps. And so we, we log somewhere between a million or two million trap hours in the state of Wyoming to have four incidents. That's pretty low. There are more dogs, you know, killed in car accidents and everything else. The part that we really miss is understanding the risk of the situation that you're getting in. And so this is something that I speak directly on. I do a presentation for for Game and Fish. I do a trap release seminar and I do a presentation on this and it's it's about inherent risk. So if you're a if you're a hiker and you're going out to Johnny by the Rocks outside of Lander right here in the middle of summer in August, you're not gonna go climb around on the rocks because there's snakes there. That's an inherent risk. You understand that risk, you know that risk. If you're bow hunting for elk in the upper wind river range i guarantee you you have a, a bear deterrent on your pack if right. you and if you don't you uh, better rethink the situation right. and what you're doing that's an inherent risk you're going up there i'm throwing my pack on and i'm going up there tracking elk with a 40 or a 10 millimeter and a can of bear spray and and a rifle that i'm and pretty you're going into a place that has a bear per square mile density absolutely uh, and of of bears that have been proven to be right. 80% ungulate predatory. They, they feast on elk. Those, elk. those bears eat elk. So you're actively creating a situation where you're going to have right. a bear encounter. And so it's my responsibility to understand that risk. I don't, I don't put that risk on anybody else. It's my responsibility to understand that risk. So in January, if you want to go out to Castle Gardens, 
which is in the Gas Hills, beautiful area. You need to understand that we're trapping coyotes out there. Plain and simple. Every trail in the Gas Hills near Castle Gardens has a trap line on it. But there, there's a precedent that's been set that if I go out there as the as Joe Public to run my dog, my dog can have free run of the whole place, sure. and that's my public land, and the trapper is the trespasser, right? And, and the trapper's the bad guy when he catches Fido, who's 800 yards from his owner, not on a leash. Absolutely. It, it does happen. I mean, it, it's. I think every trapper in their career has had an impact like that of some sorts. That that incident with Fido right there, I, I this is where I really talk about inherent risk. When you talk to that owner, because I've talked to that owner, if, if you get a dog caught anywhere in my district, I would love to talk to you. I want to talk to Game and Fish about it. I want to understand the situation and make sure that we're doing the right thing. We always want to make sure that we're doing the right thing. And when you talk to that person, they're like, well, I just didn't think that they were going to be out there. I'm like, well, dude, it's January. And it's 20 below. What are you doing out here? That's my question because it's miserable. The dog on a leash or not on a leash, the number one thing somebody's going to say is, well, there's no leash law in Wyoming. You're absolutely right there's no leash law in Wyoming. But with no leash law, it's your responsibility by law to maintain your animal. If they're not on a leash, it's your responsibility. So if they're on a leash, there's somewhat of a responsibility put on the leash itself. But if there's no lease, it's just your dog. It's yeah, not my I'll dog. I'll tell you right now, I have five horses, and if your dog's out harassing my horses, it's probably not going to leave my property. Sure. Now, now if it's just if it's wandering through and it's being a dog and it's it's just I'm not I'm not actively out there going to. I love dogs. I have several dogs, but there's there's a line that's crossed mm-hmm. when my horses, which are on my property, are being actively harassed and your dog's trying to heal my horses, that's different than, oh, your dog wandered onto my place right. and is wandering through. And I go back to, you know, and us as trappers, we kind of hem-haw around about this and maybe because there's no right or wrong answer to it, but I go back to the Wyoming motto of protecting rights. I don't think that leash laws are the answer, the end-all, be-all. I think the It's under- pretty hard to have your dog on a leash if you're doing a cattle drive. Right on. It's not going to happen. Right on. Um, But I also think that it's important that you understand the risk for your dog not being on a leash. And so when I give this, when I give this present, this inherent risk presentation, I tell everybody and kind of nobody believes me because the hiking group that comes to a trap release seminar doesn't go to a trapping convention. But at the trapping convention, I give the same exact speech to trappers. Understand inherent risk. Understand, is it legal in your town, which it may or may not be, depending on your individual town, to trap raccoon in the alley in your town. Now, it may or may not be legal there. If it's legal, is that the right thing to do? And that that, that comes down to an ethic question. And these two groups are really pitted at, e- at each other, you know, yeah. head on. You know, the trappers have an inherent right and are trying to utilize a resource. The hikers with their dogs have an inherent right and are trying to utilize a resource, right? Unfortunately, these two people are, are rock hard place, immovable right. object, unstoppable force kind of thing. Yeah, and so so one thing that we run into is we do a lot of a lot of work with youth trappers is we, we'll get a kid in that'll come to our youth trappers camp that we hold at Ocean Lake every Labor Day weekend. We can talk about that in a second. But if um, it's, you're, you're getting to the point of 
if it's legal, it might not be right. 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 That coon in the back alley, you're going to catch. Right. And you're so, going to catch somebody's cat, or you're going to catch. So we've, you know, we've got a young kid that come to our trappers camp that we give him some traps and we talk about regulation, and he shadows some of our trappers, and he's a great kid. And then he sets some traps in in a town that he lives in, and and he doesn't get in trouble because it's not illegal. But the conversation was, well, let's now let's move into this second part of the conversation. What's the right thing to do? Is the right thing to do to flip your neighbor off and say... Your cat should have been in, in your house. Right. Or is the right thing to do, you know, is to try to be a good steward to your neighbor in the same stewardship that you would expect from them. And so that's, that's the conversation we want to have with the hikers. We want the hikers. We want the hikers to hear us say, we're in it for you, just like we're in it for ourselves. We want you to have that same field, not you have the right to do everything that you want. We need to go away. That's not the way Wyoming works. That's not the way... You're not going to make any friends that way. Yeah, two million acres of public land doesn't really work out like that. When you say, when you say, well, no, I want to be able to drive. And and this is, I'm not a person that runs. When I left the military, I said, I'm done running. So I don't understand, in my mind, why somebody at 20 below drives 30 miles out into the gas hills with their dog and goes running. It baffles my mind, but they do it. They have the right to be out there. They have all of that. We want to let them know of the dangers that exist and how to work around those dangers so we can, so then they know the risk that they're taking by doing that. I don't want to take that right away from them. If they want to go out there and run in the middle of the winter, good on you, because I ain't doing it. I'm in a truck with heat, guaranteed. The, the problem with trying to meet in the middle is there's no bargaining. If I, if, we, if I say I want to meet in the middle with you, I can't bargain because I automatically lose. It's typically all or nothing. And so that's why everybody goes to the far left and the far right. So eventually we think we're bargaining. We think we're at the pawn shop trying to, trying to sell a comic book or something, you know. And we have that middle price and we're working on it. Well, kind of what we're saying in this movement is we're saying this is the middle ground. We're not bargaining on it. We're not doing anything else. This is what the laws say. This is what the rules are. This is what we want people to know that we want. But back to that, that young new trapper you were talking about, there, there is an ethics piece to trapping. Where it might be legal, it's not always ethical, right? Absolutely. But putting a trap on the other side of somebody's fence in town trying to catch a coon when they have five pet cats is, is probably not, and it's not pro- it's not the right move, right? Move, Absolutely. Move, move half a mile outside of town and Absolutely. catch that coon when he's coming in and out of town. Right. Now, if you need to catch that animal. Go to a live trap. Yeah, if you need there, to catch that there's animal. There's mitigating circumstances. There's always a way around it, but it's hard for that young person to understand that because he just got this coon trap, you know? And, and he, he wants and, to catch a coon. And he wants to get out there. We don't want that initial negative impact of getting in trouble. When you think you're trying to do something right, you don't want that initial impact of getting in trouble because it's deterring to a kid. When you get in trouble, it's deterring to a kid. So in the next few years, you're going to see a lot of movement in the in the youth generation with the Wyoming Trappers Association on what we're doing to work with those groups and get that information out there and get them to know and, and help those kids that most of the kids that we work with don't have a, a, a parent that traps. The most common thing that we hear from kids is that, well, my mom and dad don't trap, but I watch Mountain Men, mm-hmm. and I want to be like Tom Orr. Well, you, you want to be a, you want to be an old guy in Montana that can't walk? Tom is the, one of the greatest guys in the world. If you ever get a chance to meet him, by the way, but I joke. But um, no, it, they see that and they see the, they see the thought process and all the science behind it, and it's a great thing. 
And so we need to become that avenue because the parents don't know. You know, we had a mom come to us last year um, from the east side of the state with her son. She's like, my son is into trapping. I don't even know what a trap is. Can you help me? Absolutely. Tell him to come out to Pavilion, Wyoming, Labor Day weekend, camp out with us for three days. It's free. He's going to get a bunch of free trapping gear. We're going to feed him, and we're going to teach him as much as we can teach him in three days at a youth trapping event. Take him out on the lake, show him water trapping. We've got landowners in the area that have provided some land that we can hunt, um, that we can hunt and trap raccoons and coyotes and stuff like that. Last year we caught, caught a skunk, we caught a badger, we caught some coon. You know, I mean, it was a lot cool. of fun. And then we take the time to teach him how to skin those animals, teach him how to use all of those um, use all of those animals because beyond the fur, there's a lot of other things that we use in each of those species, and it, it gets really intrinsic about all of the stuff that you can learn about animals. And when you start, when you're, you know, using beaver caster, and when you're taking skunk essence, which, you know, if you're not good at it, it's bad, but it's not too bad once you get used to it after it's, a while. It's good. Those are all good learning. <laughs> you know, the, the first couple times you take skunk essence wrong, there, there's a good learning lesson there. And right. That was and regrettable. <laughs> right. So I have a, so I'm a, I'm a lure maker too. And, and I have a policy on my property set forth by my wife after the last uh, skunk essence <laughs> incident where there is no skunk essence allowed on the property. So interestingly <laughs> enough, um, it makes lure making a little hard because we use skunk essence in about everything. So I actually buy it and will have the person that I buy it from hold on to it. And I will mix it on site where I buy it and bring it back to the house because I've literally not allowed. <laughs> it was a glass jar. I dropped it. It broke. She stopped at the bottom of the driveway and called me from her truck with the windows up. And she's like, what is going on? Yeah. I'm like, mm, I'm cleaning it up. She's like, cleaning what up? I think you know, dear. I love you. <laughs> so when is this event, and how do people sign up for it? Because I'm sure there's going to be kids that listen or parents that are like, man, my kid's got to do well, that. So absolutely. The event is um, the event is held um, at Ocean Lake, usually the northwest, uh, the northwest campsite there. We have GPS coordinates for it, and then there will be some contact information on there um, about it. But it's a youth trapping camp. It's Labor Day weekend. It's Friday, Saturday, Sunday. We usually start Friday night about th between 3 or 4 o'clock, depending on what What's going on? What's the cost to attend? It's three dollars and three cents. Everything's free when it comes to when it comes to that group. It's really hard to impart cost to a group of kids that don't know or understand what they're getting involved in yet. Where do they go to sign up and get more information? Um, they can go right to wildtrap.org um, or wildtrap.com. I think we have both domains. Um, and that's, that's the Wyoming Trappers Association website. They can also go to the Facebook page. Um, we have Wyoming Trappers Association Facebook page. On our on our Wild Trap organization uh, website, we have all your district representatives are listed out on there. Like I said, I'm District 6 for Sublet, um, Teton, and Fremont County. And then we have a president and vice president that are on there and every and your district representatives will be on there. You can contact them about it. There's phone numbers on there. My phone number's on there. Just call me. Just call me and say you're into trapping and you got yourself a conversation struck up right there. Um, it, it doesn't rightly matter. We had uh, 12 kids last year go through it. Um, we take some donations. Um, everything's free. So, I mean, the, the kids last year left with a dozen traps of uh, multiple assortment coyote traps and coon traps and and i make all the bait and lure and they get that for free from me um and then they get a trapping bag and a hammer and a sifter and a, i mean they 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 have anchors they have drivers they have everything that they need to set that trap line it's really important that we understand that there's a lot of gear involved with trapping 
And if you're new, you don't understand, you go out and you, if you have $300, you go out and buy $280 worth of traps and you think you're ready to trap. Well, you're $200 short of trapping because you need anchors, you need, you need name tags, you need bait and lure, and you need to you know, wax your traps or dye your traps or paint them however you're going to treat your traps. you got to do all of that stuff. And there's gear that's, that's species-specific, right? It's just like elk hunting. You know, you got gear for elk, gear for deer, gear for pheasants, gear for quail, gear for chucker. And there's, there's a little bit of different gear, you know, whether that's ATVs or dogs or whatever. And same thing in the fishing realm. You know, you got onshore, offshore, you know, saltwater, freshwater, Oh yeah, we could we could talk uh, we could talk trapping gear for for hours. I'm <laughs> oh, like, yeah. I, we could we could talk just swivels and spend 15 minutes on swivels. It's kind of goofy, but no, that's 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 really important. That's something else that we teach is is how to once you get your trap, you just go set it in the ground. Well, no, we gotta you know usually we, if we're trapping if you want to trap coyotes, you gotta clean your, you gotta clean the oil off your traps and you gotta treat those traps and you gotta set your anchors up and you gotta put your name tags on there for regulation and stuff like that and we teach why we do that and so a big portion of that trapping weekend is is not just setting traps but it's going through that setting your traps up making sure that they're ready to be successful and um it's that's awesome i'm glad you guys are doing that That, yeah that sounds like a really cool weekend yeah it's um i didn't realize how how entertaining other people's success was this doesn't i don't sounds weird to some people but until you do something like that and two weeks later a kid sends you a picture of the very first coon that he caught on the trap that you gave him on the bait that you made and he's like i did just what you told me to and i caught him the first night and you're like yeah that's hook line and sinker right there that's like the that's like the (laughs) six-year-old that hooks into a six-pound bass and the first cast and you're just like are you kidding me get out of here and then that story that's the kid that his mom come to us and said this kid wants to trap and i don't know anything about it like i don't know nothing this is just there's a couple of amazing stories like that that are just so cool and that's what we do it for like that's better i can run my trap line and catch 10 coyotes a day which i don't think i've ever done ever caught that many i've never had the ability i work full-time jobs i don't have that ability to trap that big but that felt better than any big coyote run day that i've ever had before mm-hmm. just seeing you know just seeing that like knowing that you made an impact and knowing that you changed changed that kid's life because they live on a ranch live on a ranch father passed away kids just a teenage kid that's just kind of lost this whole avenue of, of line and thought um so it's pretty cool yeah that is cool uh, i know my son would be interested so you'll probably see him at that because yeah, sweet. he's he's he, he watches mountain men and so that has been kind of an inspiration you know yeah. seeing the trapping and whatnot but again i appreciate you coming on we haven't covered trapping on this podcast before so it's kind of fun to do kind of a you know an overview of it and, and kind of talk through some of the issues with it so i appreciate you taking the time to do it hopefully you know maybe in a year or two we can talk a little bit more about it and see kind of things how things are progressing and maybe i'll have a story for you about my son trapping something i don't oh, know absolutely we'd we'd be uh we'd be happy to do anything if you if anybody ever wants to get involved in involved in trapping in wyoming and just get a hold of wildtrap.org or um and check this check these guys podcast out they live right down the road from me they're pretty damn cool yeah well, you guys also have <laughs> annual banquet meeting right yeah we do we do our vote for officers and everything at that time. And but you have some cool demos. and you know, Oh, absolutely, yeah. If we, somebody wanted to get involved. and I mean, if you want to grab onto a mentor, that's probably the place to go is find find that 
trappers, while we are solitary creatures, I'm always going to help a kid learn how to trap. Yeah, like, you'll, you'll give them equipment, give them tips. And you can watch them. the dirtiest, grizzled up old dude like turn to putty from a 10 year old boy asking questions, a 10 year old girl asking questions like, God, I got a coyote trap. Can you show me how to use this? Oh, absolutely. Get over here. And that's an hour done right there. Hour conversation out. And, and that kid's never going to forget that. That that mentorship's never gonna never gonna go away. And your, your first elk bugle, your first uh, fish on a fishing pole, and your first animal on a trap. Th- those three things, quintessential. You, you never forget the first time you you're. you're I mean, uh, you you hook a kid up with a fishing pole and hand it, and he's got a fish on, and you know they're hooked for life, right? Same yeah, thing. absolutely. You get in the woods and you get a big old bull up to rip a bugle back. You you never forget that. And same thing when you when you for, put your first traps out and you're. I mean, the first time I did I was so excited I couldn't sleep all night to go check traps the next day. Did I catch anything? No. But when I finally did, it, it, you know, it was a big deal. I've been trapping since I was eight years old, and I guarantee if I went out and set traps tonight, I couldn't sleep tonight. Because I'll be thinking about, the, I set four traps, I'll be thinking about the 20 coyotes or the 20 coon that I could possibly catch, even though I know it's mathematically impossible. It's that thrill of the unknown. That, it's that, that infantile, ready to go that infantile feeling that you just can't get rid of, that thrill, just you on the motorcycle, you anything like that. It's just that, that feeling that makes you feel there. And then the success when you put the work in, that hard work success where you know, I'm not getting this seven point bull elk 100 yards off of the truck line at the bottom of the woods no no it's 10 miles up range and it's on foot and that's where it's at the success of the, the feeling of that does not go away there's no way well cool mike it was good having you on the podcast my friend and uh absolutely i appreciate it yeah check them out get your kids involved in trapping and if you have questions and you want to learn about it give them a call they would love to talk to you about it so yep, absolutely all right man well have a good one thank you yep thank you thanks again for listening to the radcast outdoors podcast we hope that you've enjoyed the show if so Please go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this podcast and subscribe, share, and give us a five-star rating, which really helps other people find the show. You can find all of our shows, recipes, giveaways, videos, and much more at radcastoutdoors.com. While you're there, please help support the show by purchasing a Radcast Outdoors shirt or hat. Please don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We also have a Radcast community on Facebook called Radcast Nation. And we'd love for you to join in the conversation there. And of course, please help support our sponsors who make this show possible. Thank you again to PK Lures, Bow Spider, and High Mountain Seasonings. Until next time, get out there and enjoy the outdoors.